Hey everybody out there, all the uh, folks on uh, Hitland. Um, let's uh, let's jump into a new topic that I actually got a request for, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, something that I've worked with in a past life, at least at the very beginning, and uh, now since I've stepped away from that role at uh, that other company, um, it's we're going to try to look at it uh, a little bit. Uh, from a from a distance, but to talk about it, you know the the larger trends of a of ACOs or accountable care organizations, and really what we get we get down to is looking at a lot of these new payment models that CMS has tried to introduce, you know, and a lot of it is to try to to what they call bending the cost curve. Uh, and, you know, if you think about what uh, ACA talked about doing, you know, at least at the beginning was trying to bend the cost curve, you know, whether or not they were successful, I think gets a little bit political. But, you know, I think the overall trend is that we can all see that that cost for health care is, is not going down. And so... The thought was, at least several years ago, were we going to we were going to develop these payment models that changed away from fee for service, and I think I've talked a little bit about fee for service versus fee for value on an earlier podcast. So so go back uh, and take a listen to that. But uh, what you know, the shorthand version of that is fee for service is basically. We are um, going to pay you for everything you do with a patient as a healthcare provider, where fee for value is more of we take a look at what are the outcomes that's happening with these patients and then adjust uh, up or down based on that. And so there's a lot of acronyms out there uh, when you're talking about uh, what these new payment models look like. And so you have MIPS and MACRA and, and a lot of alphabet soup that, you know, when you get into CMS that get super complicated and super deep. And I'm not going to try to tread too too far into that because, you know, that's basically a whole industry out there trying to do that. And, and you know, I, I kind of want everybody to, to make it to the end. So what, what ACOs try to do or in what shared risk models or even, you know, full risk, but this is more shared risk, so insurance companies put money into a pot and say, uh, we want to say healthcare costs for um, this group called a cohort or you know group of patients. Uh, we want to set aside X million dollars, and the group that's going to be on the care provider side of that is going to say, okay. We'll basically take that bet, and we think that we can provide good quality care for these patients for less than what you're putting in the pot. And so the incentive is for two things. One, so we don't reintroduce the HMO model of the 1990s where we were putting patients out of the hospital way too early and negatively affecting their care. We're going to bend the cost curve, we're going to save money because we're going to provide better care. And and really when you think about this, and this is a version of what population health talks about, we are going to be more holistic, not, you know, hippie holistic with incense, but holistic of 
dealing with the patient uh, on a much greater scale and involvement as an organization than what is traditional, where you see doctors handing off care from one practice to another. And so what you really want to create almost is a model that you see in lots of large urbanized areas where, you know, you think of a Kaiser, you think of, uh, you know, several options on the East Coast where there's larger groups uh, that try to have all the specialties within their organization, you know, in these larger cities. And and I think that their success is... um, is there, I think it's limited. Obviously, you know, if Kaiser really had a model that, you know, was successful, then you would probably see more of that. But, I, you know, you just don't. Uh, and, and Kaiser, I think, is unique, too. That's probably worth taking a little bit of a look at to at least help people understand what what their, uh, what their model is because they are both a true blue payer and a uh, and a care provider but anyway so i think what what i'm getting at is these these acos these accountable care organizations are certainly a blend of that and so you know the question then becomes that we're really going to talk about today is is that a is that a go forward strategy that's going to be successful and be repeatable and truly uh, be something that can go out into uh, the industry and really change how care is delivered and how care is paid for. And I, and I think, the, you know, if you take a look, people started doing this 15, 16, and now we're almost to the end, you know, of 2018. And, you know, I think the answer is not really. And so, kind of, what are the what are the answers to that? So, if we have to look at if, if if ACOs are not fundamentally changing how healthcare is delivered and reimbursed, you know why? And so, you know, here, you know, I just want to talk about a few reasons why I think the ACOs really try to struggle, or they don't try to struggle, why they do struggle, uh, and where their attempts to to change things don't don't work. And in, in, in so, first of all, we have to acknowledge that ACOs truly are a fundamental change. And so, software, practices, workflows, organizations are built for a fee-for-service model. And, and so, the other side of that is there's not much infrastructure, there's not many consultants, there's not many best practices, there's not many, um, you know, kind of lighthouses out in the darkness that can show you what a successful ACO looks like. They're not easy to emulate. And and so the reason why they're not easy to emulate is because the organization has to be responsive and be adaptable to the cohort of patients that they are serving. And so if your cohort is super specialized, so let's say that they're, you know, a group of, you know, cardiac patients that have chronic cardiac disease, you know, that's going to look different than if you have a cohort that is majority uh, diabetes patients or that are majority, um, you know, renal patients or that are majority, uh, you know, what have you. You know, I don't know if they build something around hepatitis or or what chronic conditions they look at, you know, maybe autoimmune or something like that. So, the the needs for those populations change so the needs 
and the and the mix of providers that you need to kind of address all the needs of those patients change. And so you really get into one, what do your cohorts look like? How big is your cohort? You know, to what scale do you need to have an organization to address, you know, that number of patients? And so you get into because of the variability of the patient mix and the and the variability that can be built into the contract that is basically the charter or the creation of the ACO, what what are your numbers that you have to meet to equal quality? Then you really kind of get down into this is why people don't know how to you know there's no there's no template that you can change from. And so you have a lot of physicians and practices and, and facilities that look at and say, here's this ACO, I can't, I can't spend money to change. And I and I really want to live in both places. I want to have, you know, think of a, a portfolio that you're diversifying. I'm going to stay in this fee-for-service round, and, you know, that's your bonds, that's your safe, uh, stable income that's coming in. You know how to do that. But then you want to trade a little bit on the option side or in the commodity side and do something a little more risky with this ACO. So how do you, how can you commit to this different business plan? How can you commit to this different business model if you as a physician or a practice are participating in an ACO, but it's only 10% of your patients? You know, how much are you really going to change? How much you are going to invest of your capital into creating the infrastructure to support this entirely different way to operate you know because you've got a lot you know a lot more touch points outside of the physician office for these patients you know you're talking about you know medication compliance you're talking about probably a lot more vitals tracking you're trying to be much more proactive with getting people into the office before they develop a condition that's going to put them in the ED or in the hospital you're trying to intercede and and thus stop these expensive you know uh, events caused by chronic conditions that's where you're going to end up saving money out of your out of your pot and if you're and if you can't or won't do that then how can you um, how can you be successful which kind of leads you know and this is so now related to the next point if you're not willing to invest on the human side, if you're not willing to invest on the workflow side, then you're probably not very motivated to invest on the technology side. And so not really talking about, you know, these, these pop health or uh, ACO-centric um, technologies that are out there. I'm talking about you probably won't even spend money that, you know, I will readily admit your EHR is charging you too much to connect your your practice system into whatever this this patient health uh, pop health model looks like because you know how can you run this ACO how can you identify these patients if everybody's not putting all their data into a pot so you can get a true view of what this patient's condition looks like you know and that's kind of over the top of you know everything else if you're not willing to commit to looking at these patients in a completely different way, then you're really not committing to trying to save money on these patients and, and have better care, lower cost care. You know, what you're really trying to do is you're really just trying to draw a circle around 
a bunch of patients and trying to make the you know the population large enough and get the pot big enough that if you really just continue on with this fee-for-service model with these patients that you know you may look up and and save a few, a few you know you may get a little bit extra out of that pot but what you're really doing is you're really trying to fee-for-service uh, workflow yourself in in some sort of you know gambling uh, model where where you're not you're not living up to what's really going on you know and that goes for clinicians that goes for the practice administration that goes for hospitals that don't want to participate or share their data and I know that I'm certainly biased as far as that goes because I'm in interoperability focused and and believe that data sharing is super important but you know and, and this is kind of the last the last part where you know you're really going to see struggles is uh, you know we're we're struggling on the ACO side because you've got to bring people together outside of their practices and and that's really you know again a thought a thought shift as far as what does a care team look like how do they interact with around a patient and then and then the other piece of it is is what are the patient's responsibilities to be a part of this ACO you know because they do have to opt in to 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 that sort of thing and so you got increased data sharing you got some proactive people reaching out to the patients to try to get them to change behavior or to commit to um, keep up a behavior that they said, hopefully during the care plan explanation, that they said that they would that they would do. And so you really kind of are left with, you know, here's all these different actors that are, um, you know, that are, that are trying to participate or say that they participate in this environment that, you know, it's, it's super questionable as far as whether they will actually, um, whether they'll actually do that or not. And, and what the early returns are is not really. And, and I don't necessarily know that payers are even put into it. I think, you know, they like the ACO idea and, and they're probably willing to take whoever's willing to go into the bet with them because when it really comes down to it, you know, they the ACO model for them works from the standpoint of they can cap what their expenditures are going to be uh, probably over and above what their uh, previous contracts said and certainly without lifetime maximums because of ACA, you know, there, there almost is no cap on the payer side uh, anymore. So that's, you know, one is contributing to the cost rising, but then you start going back to, uh, you know, what you know, where, where are your cost control apparatus? So really, you know, when you get down to the, the end of it, the ACO concept struggles because there's no one to represent the ACO. There's nobody with any authority or any ability to affect change across all of these organizations, including the patients, including the payers, that really keeps people going in a common direction. And until you push either through CMS or through legislation, which, you know, I don't necessarily know how that's possible, but until you get 
um, you know, everybody in a common direction of this is what we're going to try to do. I just don't see the ACO ever having uh, the organizational power to really affect change. And I think that's probably why you've seen, you know, ACOs resemble some HIEs. And, and I think that's why you've seen ACOs struggle because they look like the uh, the regional health information organizations, RIOs, or the, the health information exchange, the HIEs. It's because they have, they are so dependent on the member organizations to uh, do, um, to meet the, the needs of the data sign that there's really little incentive for them to do it. So they struggle to show value and they struggle to get, you know, the, the, the small workflow changes even on their side just to make data exchange happen. So, uh, not to, not to be too pessimistic about all this, you know, I just think that there's a reality that we have to, uh, accept and it comes down to if you want to affect change and how healthcare is delivered, if you want to affect change and what healthcare costs, the only way is to affect how organizations and physicians or care providers all along the spectrum are reimbursed. And I think that you have to not offer fee-for-service to some to some groups, I think you have to do a ACO type model, you know, you know, make that the only option for general practitioners. And I think that if you uh, capped or at least uh, limited what the fee-for-service options were for hospitals, I think that you would get a lot more buy-in and I think you would get a lot more uh, concern and interest into how we were going to get this solved. But as long as we offer a middle way, as long as we offer this unending on-ramp of transition, you're just not going to, you're not going to get it. I mean, goodness gracious, let's just take ICD-9, for example. You know, that's, that's, you know, something that's super limited in scope. It's super finite as far as how it's implemented and what role it plays. And you look at the years and years and years of delay to ICD-10. So, you know, and you don't get the transition until you have the deadline. You know, the only other option is to go another uh, meaningful use route with a high-tech act, and, and you have the federal government just offer this ginormous, you know, pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. The problem is, is that we've got to, CMS has got to do so much of a better job defining what the rainbow looks like, um, because, you know, what we really need is something that's actually going to lead to a real pot of gold and not a box of cereal. And that's kind of where we were with meaningful use. I don't, I, you know, it's from an outcome standpoint and from an, an overall patient, um, you know, health improvement standpoint, meaningful use was a real loser. But anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Anyway, uh, times two, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, thanks for your time. Let me know uh, if you think that ACOs, if I'm completely wrong and ACOs are the wave of the future, and they're doing great, and there's just kind of some diamonds in the rough, and people just have to recognize them, let me know. Um, I could be so disconnected from this that uh, I don't see the good the good ones out there, but uh, I think that's the overall trend in the market space, and, and, you know, they've really had the oxygen taken out from under them, too, by the, by the Apples and Amazons uh, of the world jumping into this. So, um, you know, maybe their time to shine will help now that the spotlight's not on them. 
So that would be interesting, and I certainly hope so, because uh, there's a lot of good people spending a lot of time on this. Anyway, uh, my time is up, and I thank you for yours.